This is Learned It From An 80s Song. I am your coach, Patricia Freiberg. This is I Love The 80s meets the healing of storytelling and the positive impact of music. Inspiring guests share their powerful stories, yielding incredible strengths. Through both story and music, this podcast will elevate your mood, providing you with a positive outlook. It will ignite recall so that you can tap into your own life experiences. We don't just hear the knowledge and wisdom gained from our podcast guests. Through powerful story, we can live it. Today we have a very special guest. Please welcome Dr. Saswapna Singh Rawat or Dr. Sapan. He is an Indian origin, English trained, Canadian based family physician with a unique approach to healthcare. Driven by passion for achieving weight loss and metabolic health through lifestyle, Dr. Sapan stands out as a beacon of holistic well being and a world often dominated by quick fixes and prescriptions. Dr. Sapan takes a refreshing stance. As a big believer in the principles of preventative health, he advocates for food and other pillars of health as medicine. Unlike many of his peers, he is not a pill pusher. While he acknowledges the importance of medications in certain cases, he believes that the first line of defense in empowering clients is to make positive lifestyle and dietary changes. From personalized counseling through his social media videos, Dr. Sapan is on a mission to shift the paradigm, making lifestyle interventions on the forefront of health management. At his clinic, the message is clear. Medications are a backup option, not the first. With a dedicated team, including a dietitian, reinforcing the message, they are creating a holistic approach to well-being. Currently, Dr. Sapan is leveraging social media through TikTok, whereby he has 20,000 subscribers to spread this crucial message of prioritizing lifestyle choices for optimal health. But his story does not end there. He recently completed the Harvard's course on lifestyle and nutrition through their certificate program. Dr. Sapan has elevated his understanding, particularly emphasizing the impact of factors like stress and sleep on metabolic health. Today, we'll uncover the insights gained by this journey and explore how he is using his knowledge to make a lasting impact on the lives of many. Hello, Dr. Safan. It's so great to have you here today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, you're most welcome, Patricia. Thanks for calling me. Well, I need to tell the audience how we met each other. We are in this incredible course at Harvard's Extension course, and it is on sustainable nutrition. And it is been for me an amazing experience, not just learning the amount of learning that we've done in the last eight weeks, 
but then also the connections that we've made within our cohort. And that's how I met Dr. Sapan. So I'm so so happy to have you here. And it's just such a pleasure to meet you online here today. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you very much, Patricia. Yeah, same here. On the Harvard course, it's been incredible, the connections we've made and the kind of people that we've come across. It's amazing. So many accomplished people in different walks of life, you know, from life coaches to psychologists to nutritionists, personal trainers, physicians. So it's been an amazing experience. Yes. And and it's so interesting to have so many different cultures at the table too, because people are from all over the world. I'm sitting here in Switzerland, that's and you're in Toronto, Canada. And there are people that are, I mean, I, I can't even imagine the amount of countries that are coming through. And what's so cool is that we have this WhatsApp group. And in this WhatsApp group are from people from all over the world sharing recipes of like the most amazing food. This is like, you know, people, what they're serving in their homes across the world. Yeah. I mean, they're making probiotics like kefir and kombucha at home. That's quite amazing. Yeah, yeah. Quite, quite envious. I wish I could do that. Yes, me too. I just want to thank you again for being here today. I'm super excited to dive into your story. And most importantly, well, your story is most important, but what's important today for Learned It From An 80s Song is your song choice. So without further ado, Safan, what is the song that best resonates with the story you're going to share with us today? Can I get a drum roll, please? What is your song? Yeah, so the song is the 1980s song, Tunnel of Love by Dire Straits. Oh, yes. And boy, did you pick a good one. I have been listening to Dire Straits all morning long. I mean, how fun for you to fit. This is a first. So we've had this podcast for three years. Dire Straits has not been here yet. But what's really cool is that this song is from 1981, Dire Straits, Tunnel of Love. And the song actually was in the movie, An Officer and a Gentleman. So you Richard Gere fans out there, that was an instrumental song in that show. So what's interesting about this Dire Straits song is, and you're going to talk about how it resonates with your story. But what I learned is that the song's distinctive sound is featuring Mark Knopfler, was the writer for this song, and it's his signature guitar work that people really gravitate to in this particular song. And initially, it wasn't even going to go to the studio. So people felt that it was too unconventional. But what's really interesting is that the very beginning arrangement was a carousel waltz from Rogers and Hammerstein. So as I was listening, and I, now that I saw that reference, I started listening to a lot of Dire Straits songs this morning. And, you know, they have the song Romeo and Juliet, another song, Sultans of Swing. When I really sat down and listened to the lyrics, I loved how the lyrics really told a story. Mm-hmm. And much like the song that you chose, it tells a story. It's almost like we are in a musical and we're, we're listening to this unfold, the twists and turns and that and it's referencing his love life in this case, the twists and turns that it, it has taken throughout his life. Yeah. I mean, just a bit about Mark Knopfler. 
I'm a big fan of Mark Knopfler. And even after Dire Straits um, disbanded in the mid 90s, he carried on making quite a lot of albums himself. And I have all those albums. I've been listening to Mark Knopfler even till last year that he released an album. So just an amazing artist. And, you know, he's uh, famous as a really good guitarist with his finger picking style. He doesn't use picks. He uses his fingers to play the guitar. He is known to not be the greatest singer. You know, he's not like uh, Guns N' Roses, um, you know, Axl Rose or anything like that. But he's just an amazing storyteller. You know, as you can tell with his songs, they often have this theme, this story. And often the way he sings is almost like he's just narrating a story. Yes. Yeah, and it just resonates at so many levels. And of course, the instrumentation, the guitars, the pianos, the the saxophones, it's just incredible. The the level of composition. Some of these songs are... Like Telegraph Road is a song. It's uh, 12 and a half minutes long, you know, long songs. And it just makes you reminisce about what's happened in music today. You know, just get, you can just have yes. a two minute song and it can get billions of views. And the, the amount of effort that used to go into producing music in those days, you just can't yeah. imagine. It's not done anymore. These people would sit down for four years and to create an album with just two sides on it, you know, and... Uh, these days, you've got to be coming out with something literally every day. You know, within, in the age of social media, you've got to have a new post, Instagram post every single oh, day. It's, not it's the so same. true. It's not the same because it really does. Now, as we're talking about it, you can really feel the artistry in it. And the only way that you can get that artistry is to be able to sit down and hash it out and rerun it and look at it from different perspectives. And it's a team effort. Yes. Mark did most of the writing for most of the songs. However, you know, his other bandmates, which I have written down here for Dire Straits, you know, also have a very significant part, you know, in the whole production of the show, so to speak. Yeah. And I think there is this this feeling that, you know, that that era won't come back, you know, because people, I don't think they'll ever have the time to spend four years creating an album of yes. eight songs. I don't think that will ever happen again with, with the environment we're in. And which kind of is a nice move into, you know, nutrition and, and lifestyle. Because again, you know, there was a time when it was difficult to gain weight. Now it's very difficult to, to maintain ideal weight because our environment, our food environment, our lifestyles, our, how busy we've become, you know, our work-life balance, our lack of sleep, our increasing stress levels, all of these things in our you know, whether it's expectations we put on ourselves or the expectations, you know, companies put on their employees or yes. however you want to talk about it. It's, it's as if that, that period will, will not probably not come back. We'll, we'll now have to figure out our way around the current environment that we are in at this point of time. And yeah, that's something I think about a lot because, you know, weight loss is the thing that I'm most passionate about in my, mm. in my work. And a lot of it is the influences of, I don't want to sound like, like a conspirator theorist, but, yes. you know, the big, um, the food, big food lobbies, you know, producing all those ultra processed, highly refined, cheap foods. And then to some extent, the pharma lobby as well. And I would, mm-hmm. I would clump myself as a doctor in, within that lobby of how, you know, you can buy a lot of uh, fast food from these people, make them billions, and then you can get some really expensive drugs to lose your weight, uh, which are also worth several billions. And, you know, all the big lobbies are happy and the, 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 the customers in the middle get, you know, get taken for a ride. That's uh, the way I feel about the situation right now. 
Wow, that's tremendous insight. And what you're delivering out there, you know, through your TikTok, through your show on YouTube, you know, all of those things, what you're you're educating. And I feel like the more education we get out there, the more the less people may go for those big ultra processed foods. Yeah, it is. And the difficulty in some parts is that like we were talking about, you know, Dire Straits making a song for four years versus doing an Instagram feed maybe a few times a day. You know, we have become like that, unfortunately, and people are now looking for quick solutions, quick fixes. And the kind of stuff we learned on the Harvard course about nutrition, sleep, stress, resilience, you know, positive social connections, exercise, all of these things take time. You know, these are permanent lifestyle changes that we need to make and maintain over a period of time. Equally, all those people who go for those quick fixes, generally those are not permanent fixes. You know, just like the dopamine hit you get from that Instagram feed doesn't last very long. You're looking for that next Instagram feed within a day or so. You know, the albums that Dire Straits made, those are those will survive the test of time, you know, because they put the and the effort into it. It will be everlasting. And the same applies to what you do with your life and with your nutrition and your, you know, your resilience to cope with stress. Those are skills that once you have, you can you can use those for the rest of your life. And that's what I'm trying to educate people on. Right. That is such a great analogy to really look at, you know, what if we start living our life, you know, not just, you know, with quick fixes and it really looking at it as a masterpiece, because that's what we are. Each individual is a masterpiece and we need to take the time to sculpt it, take the time to nuance it, you know, and, and work, you know, and like when I work with my coaching clients as yours with your patients, it's like, they are the expert on them. They know, you know, typically what's, you know, what's going to be best for them, but then coupled with some education around lifestyle and nutrition and some tools in their toolbox can really set them up for success. That's right. And what I feel sometimes is we become complacent and perhaps overly optimistic about the power of medication and these quick fixes, you know, and that's something I like to try to explain to my clients that, you know, if you look at metabolic illness, if you look at the whole spectrum of, you know, obesity, prediabetes, diabetes, heart disease, and all the other complications, stroke, heart attack, which come with it, it's like a problem that's, you know, coming, it's like a tree that's got an infected root and the infection is just traveling up. And everything we do medication-wise, whether it's, you know, statins for your cholesterol or sugar pills. And I compare that to spraying, you know, we decide on the leaves. You know, you can make, you can make it look pretty from the outside, but if the problem is still rotting on the inside, you haven't really come to the root of the problem. And so I like to, you know, despite being a physician, it sounds a bit anti-doctor-like, but I do try to, you know, explain to them that don't, don't feel overly confident that just because you're taking these pills, everything is A-OK. You need to make those efforts on your, on your side as well to get to the root of the problem and stop that rot from spreading from the inside itself. Really, really great words, words of wisdom. And I think you're looking at the whole patient when you speak to that. All of the knowledge that you've gotten from you know medical school when, and through your practice coupled with you know just being a human being and living the life as well. So it's really such a great, great way to connect that together. That's super. So with this, Asapan, would you mind sharing your story? I was, I was, when I got to read a little bit about you, I couldn't wait to have you on the show 
to learn more. So tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, so the reason I chose Tunnel of Love is because it's, it's a song about travel, about changes and how things move from you know one direction to the other. And my life's been a bit like that. So my father, he's a retired diplomat and so Indian diplomat. And so I was born in Dubai and every three years we'd move to a new country. And that's how diplomats work. So, you know, I lived in every continent except for Africa. That's the only continent we did not live in. So we lived, I lived in, um, you know, when I say lived three years or more, that would be Dubai, which is the United Arab Emirates and Venezuela and Holland and England. Indonesia, Kuwait, various countries, Canada, obviously. And so that change has been a, a feature of my life. And one thing I didn't realize was that it somehow got ingrained into me. So I was just looking into this and I realized I've never lived in the same house for more than four years. Even when I lived in England for 15 years, we lived in four houses over those 15 years. So I was wow. initially living with my parents because they were in Birmingham. Then I bought my first house in Walsall, which is in black country. Then we moved to our second house. Then we moved to our third house. And then we moved to Canada. Then we moved. We've already moved three houses in Canada in the last six years. <laughs> so it's, change is a, is a big factor of, of our life, of my life. And which is why I chose a song saying that I do feel very settled where I am right now. Toronto is a, is a beautiful place. And I feel um, I would like to stay here. Plus, um, Interest rates are so high right now that I don't think I'm buying one more house anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the change now for me needs to happen more, more at a professional level. So, you know, having been working at a, as a family doctor for 25 years now, and now the reason I enrolled on this um, Harvard course, uh, like you did, was to really move into the realm of lifestyle and nutrition. And, and I got to say, I've been in this field for the last maybe uh, one or two years now. And I found it very, very, very satisfying. When I say in the field, I mean just educating myself and advising mm -hmm. my clients. Because for the first time, I feel as a doctor, I've been able to truly reverse their conditions. You know, not just give them medication, but see them lose a lot of weight and not have to take medication anymore. Come off their blood pressure medication, come off their sugar medication. And that's been truly inspiring. And I got to say, my clients, that they've become those clients have become big fans and followers of the way I do things more than any other clients did for the last 25 years that I was practicing. So, you know, just dishing out prescriptions never gave me that kind of appreciation that, you know, helping them truly change their lives around is giving. So it's, it's very satisfying. And this is a field where I wish to now progress. And this is the kind of change I'm thinking about rather than changing house or changing country. I think more of a professional kind of change. I would still carry on doing my regular family medicine stuff. I wouldn't stop that. But I'm going to make more time for myself to do the other aspects, the lifestyle aspects as well. Wow, that is amazing. And, you know, as you were speaking, what popped in my head were two words. The first one was agency, that you're giving your patients agency, that they are independent and that they can make the just the, these lifestyle changes that they make can impact their blood work, can impact their longevity, can put on years of their life. And it's, it's their, you know, you're empowering them, but it's agency, it's their independence, it's their, you know, they're having control of this. Whereas like with a medication, the medication, while important in many cases, 
medication is, you know, is something that's given to a person, right, to make a change. Whereas when your patients make lifestyle changes, it's them doing the work. It's them having that agency. Yeah, absolutely. And there were so many things we learned on that Harvard course that we are on together. I would say some one study that we went through was comparing exercise and lifestyle changes to medication. And that was a really interesting study. It showed that, well, if you take this medication, blood pressure can come down by, say, 10 millimeters of mercury. But if you cut out salt, that'll bring it down by five. If you increase potassium, that'll bring it down by four. If you improve your sleep, reduce your stress, do some meditation, do some mindfulness, it'll bring it down even further, showing that, you know, these changes are as effective as medication. If you can be, you know, you can sustain that and maintain that. The other kind of thing that I found really interesting on the course was how to help clients make those changes. Because one thing I was struggling with was, you know, I could, I could just, and you know, the coach approach that we learned about, I could just tell them exactly what they need to do, but they couldn't do it. But, right. you know, how to empower them to be able to make that, those choices, how to motivate them, and also how to identify underlying factors like stress, lack of sleep, you know, emotional eating, how to identify them and treat those underlying conditions to be able to give them the willpower to be able to make those changes. I think those were the most important and empowering parts of that Harvard course. Yes. Yes. Just the amount of control that we do have and compare all the science that the actual studies that they showed us, you know, with my plate and, you know, and bringing in those whole foods, fruits and vegetables, you're able to implement that right, right away and have been implementing it, you know, uh, for several years now with your patients. So with that life, with lifestyle medicine, that's amazing. Yeah. In fact, the starting line that I, you know, the, the opening salvo, when, when I identify a client, you know, it might be a 30 year old with fatty liver and insulin resistance and the usual metabolic syndrome problems. My starting salvo now has changed. So what I tell them to first identify you know, first you need to identify your, your sleep. You know, are you getting seven to nine hours of good quality sleep? If not, we need to work on that. You know, may you have some underlying conditions like obstructive sleep apnea are you or snorer, for example, we need to identify and work on that. You know, do you suffer from stress? Do you do stress eating? You know, are you mindful when you're eating? If that's the case, you may need, you know, coaching, mindfulness, therapy, meditation. There are a whole bunch of things that you may need to help with that aspect. And, you know, what's your work-life balance like? You know, it is, if you're working 20 hours a day, there's probably not very much I can do to help you. You know, so yeah. you need to fix your work-life balance. So before even uttering a single word about fruits and vegetables, that's, that's my opening salvo. <laughs> yeah. Because nothing's going to work. If we don't fix that first, the, the rest of it is almost immaterial. What else I tell you about nutrition, exercise, intermittent fasting, or whatever else I advise you on? You need to fix the mental health, the sleep, the work-life balance first before you can get into that. Sleep is probably the most important aspect for me, for me personally, that uh, makes the biggest difference on how I produce, how much do I produce and how well do I produce the next day? How well do I eat the next day? You know, because we get that, what is it called? The grenulin, that horm is a hormone, correct? Yeah, that uh, comes in and it makes you want to eat like, you know, those quick foods, some sugary or something like that. And I noticed such a difference when I sleep versus when I don't sleep. 
productivity and then food choices. Those are two that I journal about, you know, like, oh, how am I feeling today? And, and, and it's really has everything to do with sleep. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something else I often counsel to my young patients, you know, who have these early signs of metabolic syndrome and, you know, impending cardiovascular disease, perhaps in their 50s. And I explain to them that, you know, when you're driving your, your body, you only have one body, you know, we, we change cars every four years, but you only have one body. When we're driving our body, it's not like driving a car, it's like driving a ship. <laughs> it's like driving that Titanic, you know, you're driving a car, you see in danger, you make a turn, you make a move. Um, but if you're driving, if you're steering the Titanic, you know, you, you see that iceberg in front of you, it's too late. You know, that warning sign came 20 years ago. You know, to develop from insulin resistance to diabetes takes about eight or 10 years for that to change. From diabetes to start causing kidney damage, eye damage, heart damage, it takes eight or 10 years more. So you get those warning signs a good 20 years in advance. And I've got to say, as guilty as most of the doctors out there, we look at people with fatty liver, insulin resistance, high cholesterol, sugar, and we just say, oh, you know, it's okay, don't worry about it. Most of the population's got fatty liver anyways. But those are those really precious early signs that come a good 20 years before. And that's the time when those people need to be steering their ship in the opposite direction to avoid that right. iceberg. And so many of us miss those opportunities. And I'm, I'm glad I'm not missing those opportunities anymore, but I did for a good many years before getting down, coming down this path. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. Well, I just think you're doing such incredible work out there and, you know, Toronto's lucky to have you. I don't know how the medical system is in Toronto, but what I've found here in Switzerland, you know, versus going to being in the U.S. is that the doctors here, the doctors that I've seen have spent a really a great deal of time with me because they can, based on how the medicine is, the system is, is here, that they do have it. They still obviously have a lot of patients and things that they have to do because doctors are in demand and they're, and they're very busy. But what I will say is that the time allotment, I, in fact, I was, I was joking with somebody uh, on the podcast last couple of weeks ago about how I felt antsy because I felt like they had to get to their next patient about 30 minutes into our meeting. You know, but we met for a whole like an hour and a half, I think, you know, just going over my family history, like all of that. And I'm curious as to what you're finding, you know, because if you are looking at the coach approach with patients and things like that, being able to coach as doctors and then having limited time, you know, how do you see that working, you know, in, in your, in Canada, but then also what would you imagine the ideal being you know, just in the medical system in general, to really be able to facilitate change in patients. Yeah, so we have a very stretched medical system here. We've got millions of clients in Ontario, the, the, our province in Canada, which, who don't have a family doctor. So there's a lot of pressure on family doctors to take on patients and serve as many as they can. Yesterday, I saw 42 clients in my day, and we only get 10 minutes per client. So it's it's difficult, which is part of the reason that I do these TikTok and YouTube videos because I don't have the time to in that consultation. So often enough, I'll, you know, give them a bit of a pep talk and a bit of a motivation and then ask them to watch the videos for the rest of the info because I can't really do it during the consultation. I'm very fortunate to have a dietitian with me who, who, who gets an hour with the client. So she does a lot of that nice. work with them. But this is also why I'm soon about to open a new 
a kind of business model. It's a website. It's called um, weightlossgroupcoaching.com. You know, I'll, I'll share the, the website is still under construction. So please don't click on it just yet. Maybe just you know, put it on your favorites <laughs> next time. Still under construction. But um, the idea will be that I'll be doing um, daily one-hour group sessions with patients on Zoom. It'll be just learning as a group. You know, eventually we might have a large number of people in the group. You know, not everyone might be, may be able to talk to me one-to-one on that occasion, but I'll be available every day for one hour. And as the business grows, it might be more, it'll be subscription-based to get in there. But um, that's, that's where I'm hoping to be able to spread the message more, more effectively and more one-to-one with clients where I'm, I don't have that time pressure uh, you know, with the, sitting outside the waiting room, harassing my secretary as to when the doctor will be available, you know? So right. that's the whole idea there. Wow, that's beautiful. So it's really a great platform to get more inter- information out there and support what I'm thinking about is, you know, I'm a, I'm a board certified health and wellness coach, and there's a lot of us out there who have gone through extensive training. And, you know, my thought is, and I've talked about this before, is about having partnering with physicians and, and medical offices, you know, and having these coaches who can do motivational interviewing, who can help support, you know, because I've, my, I personally, you know, both through both my children have gone to see nutritionists and diet, you know, like all of that because of hormonal changes, the whole nine yards and being in the fitness industry was very important that I, you know, stay in the best shape possible for longevity, but also for the industry. So, you know, my thought was like, gosh, I really wished I had somebody like a coach or somebody who could help me through those challenging times or to help me, you know, figure out goals that are achievable you know, and what are those goals? And anyway, so I could see, as I was imagining the medical system, you know, having these coaches, these, you know, board certified health and wellness coaches there to support and help the doctors, because I feel like, you know, the doctors have great intentions, but they're so in demand. And, and it's not just looking at nutrition and longevity. We're also talking about mental health coaching, we're talking about, you know, why can't they sleep? Well, they've got some anxiety and things that are going on that might be mild, you know, enough that coaches could see them, et cetera, et cetera, that would also, you know, be helpful. So anyway, I, I had to throw it out there and to hear your thoughts on it. And do you see from your perspective, can you see that happening? Yeah, I think it should happen. Equally, I mean, there are a group of doctors like, uh, you know, Dr. Beth Freites, who is the president of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And I would imagine all of those physicians who are enrolled on the, at the College of Lifestyle Medicine, they would have those kinds of attitudes and intentions. But then equally, there are a whole lot of physicians out there, unfortunately, who just like giving out medication. I mean, I'm not, obviously, I'm not going to name anyone, but in our clinic, we often get retiring doctors sending a lot of their patients to us. And, you know, sometimes because we know them, we will take a lot of those clients. And it's shocking sometimes to see pages and pages and reams and reams of medications our patients are on. I'm getting clients from a, a, a doctor who's retiring nearby who are on dozens and dozens of medications. And I'm fairly sure those clients have never had a single word of lifestyle or nutrition usher, you know, uttered to them. Yes. To, to an extent, sometimes... There can be this, shall we say, incentive to just keep prescribing and 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 not de-prescribe because ultimately, you know, in the, the way the financial system is set up, 
it kind of just benefits everyone and it benefits physicians and the lab techs and the pharmacists and the pharma companies everyone gets benefit from more prescribing and and you know once you get stuck in that kind of incentive kind of um pathway that i think this snowballs and you know it can be a habit which can be stay for for the whole professional life of a, of a clinician i feel quite fortunate that i kind of moved away from it but it took me 25 years of practice to realize what, what i was you know not doing correctly i mean for so many years i just prided myself for being an expert in the whole algorithm of you know which diabetes drug comes first and which comes second what comes third and you know oh it looks like your a1c is a bit high we're going to add this on and we're going to add that on and your blood pressure is right. a bit high we're add something on and it was always just about addition and subtraction never a word of any lifestyle intervention we didn't even think it would be effective so and and we didn't think our clients would do it so we we never even right. talked about it. and i think that's the way majority of client doctors do practice in this day and age uh, but i think um, you know physicians need just as much education as as patients do right in fact if you look at the general health of physicians you'll see a lot of them are are not very healthy themselves so and it took me 11 years of training to become a family doctor and i don't think we had a single day or even a single class of nutrition lifestyle exercise or the benefits of that so right no wonder you know physicians are quite lousy at the whole thing of lifestyle medicine and <laughs> we don't we don't get trained in this and we don't incentivize to to be a believer in that but this is something which does need to change yes yes and to be fair you know i, I think i had mentioned that you know i'm married to a physician i have been with this uh, physician since med school so long 25 26 or 7 years and the system does not set the doctors up to be able to actually have great lifestyle especially early on so yes i hear you say that they're not always practicing what they preach so to speak but that being said the system isn't allowing for it you know looking at how long the hours that has to be worked to stress involved you know mental health days i mean it would be very hard for a doctor to take a mental health day you know i mean you would have to get like 100 patients you know like you said 42 patients covered and you know and all of that so so i i definitely hear what you're saying and yet i also think that we we need just like with mental health professionals we need to be better as a society of supporting the longevity of doctors and not burning out the longevity of mental health professionals and helping them with prevent burnout etc so really interesting yeah. co- conversation so this is about my story patricia so you know currently i'm 45 years old and recently got some blood work done perfect blood work <clears throat> crp inflammation level 0 which is i'm really proud of but it wasn't like that before you know i was about 12 kilograms or 26 pounds heavier than i am right now and that was about a year ago okay oh, congratulations of, oh thank you and i saw my blood work kind of deteriorating my um sugar was creeping up three month average sugar and um, we don't have the great genetics in our family so i could i, I could see that you know that iceberg was there in the distance mm-hmm. and tell me if you tell you about my family history my dad he got diagnosed with diabetes type 2 at the same age as me so at 45 despite being a marathon runner and he still runs now but despite being very active and i'm i'm quite active myself i love tennis i play over summer i play every day singles tennis but despite doing a lot of exercise 
the weight was going up, the metabolic markers like sugar were going up, the blood pressure was going up as well. And I could see, I could see what was coming because I'd seen it in my family. My, my dad got di- diagnosed diabetic at 45. My grandfather had a heart attack at 55. My grandmother had a stroke at 55. My uncle died of a heart attack at 55. And, you know, that's the kind of genetic. But my biggest inspiration is actually my dad because currently he's 75. He's a big believer in, in yoga, in meditation, in maintaining good health, good nutrition. He actually took early retirement from his work as a diplomat to focus on his health. Oh, and wow. At 75, this might sound strange to people, but he's actually breaking records of, the, of longevity in our family. No one has ever lived till 75, the father's side of my family, because the genes are just so... And I've talked about genetics. There's something called the thrifty genotype hypothesis where, you know, certain ethnicities, and it's more common with people, South Asians, Filipinos, Hispanics, natives, we just tend to have more obesity, diabetes, and these kinds of metabolic problems. And it's, it's related to how our ancestors had to go through a lot of hardship. And they went through famines and famine and feast cycles. And as a result, you know, the genetics became more predisposed towards storage of fat and storage of energy to get through the yeah. next famine. So it's a very short-termish kind of a genetic pool where the genes, what they say to you is, well, who cares about living past 55 because you're not going to make it anyways. You want to plan for that next famine or that next colonial invasion or that next drought or next flood that's going to come. Make sure you have enough fat stored in your liver to get through that period of hardship. That's how the, the Darwinian evolution has taken the genetics. So those people, they would start developing these metabolic problems early. And I've got several clients particularly from these ethnicities who develop type 2 diabetes at the age of 30 or 25, despite having normal BMI, having a normal weight. And uh, wow. so how you become that can be quite challenging. So, so when I saw myself in that same kind of position at 45, you know, with sugars going up, blood pressure going up, I thought, well, you know, I don't want to die at 55. I need to do something about this. And that's where I started examining everything, just like a layman would, you know, going into nutrition, into intermittent fasting, into exercise, just delving into all of it. And one thing I found really interesting in the nutrition space is the, the amount of polarity there is. You know, there are these mm. diet tribes, you've got the you know, carnivore keto on one side, and you've got the vegans on the other side, and, and you, you're not really sure whom to, you know, believe. You know, do you, do you believe the Paul Saladinos or do you believe the um, Neil Bernards out there? You know, all these are very, very different kind of camps. And this is the main reason I came to Harvard to do the nutrition course, because I said, you know, I got to hear it from the most established, most reputable, credible source and understand. And because sometimes you, you can't have all the knowledge, but the best decision you can make is whom to follow and whom to believe. You know, yes. I decided, okay, Harvard is the one. Let's go there. Let's get the information from there. I'm, I'm really pleased with the outcomes. And, and Patricia, it'd be good to know about your um, thoughts on you know, the kind of nutrition we heard of, studied at Harvard? Yes. Well, <laughs> if there were a famine, I would be the last one standing because that's how I felt like my metabolism has been, you know, my whole life. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very athletically built. I'm German, Irish. Uh, I definitely, when I go to Munich, when I go to the Bavarian region, I feel like I am at home. You know, everybody looks a little like me. And, and I, like, oh, there's the 5'11 athletic built women out there. There they are. And so, so as far as, you know, being in the fitness industry, I definitely 
tried everything. I was a vegetarian for 12 years. You know, I think what I was just, I was a little tired of all the information and misinformation out there. So like you, I said to myself, I said, you know, I, I turned 50 this year, you know, I'm going through life changes, midlife changes and things like that. I wanted to know going into my next chapter, you know, uh, and, and looking at longevity, I wanted to hear it from the resources, the research. I wanted evidence-based research on what is best for me and, you know, how can I fuel this vehicle, you know, that I don't get to change in, like you said, every four years for a new model, right? <laughs> it's here with me to stay. And I want it to last, you know, to the very end, you know, like the amazing, your father has done such an amazing job. So for me, that is why I enrolled in the course. And I did learn quite a bit about what I was doing wrong, you know, what I could be doing, you know, much better, but then also looking at the pieces that I'm doing really well. And, and that made me, you know, feel like, yeah, you know, that's great. I am doing this part well, but, and I think that that's, you know, looking at changes, you know, in, in my life and, you know, changes that I don't have control over. This has been like, what can, for me, it's that agency. It's like, what do I have control over? And this uh, sustainable nutrition program is, I felt very attainable, you know, looking at the, the six pillars, but really with the nutrition, really looking at the whole foods, looking at vegetables with every meal, you know, and looking at, I think my biggest takeaway is I do the exercise of sitting in front of my meal and breathing before I eat. So I do several mindful breaths. I've never done this before. So I, but I've adapted it to at least one meal a day. I take some breaths and then I, I look at the food that I'm prepared and I imagine where it came from. So also another mindfulness technique. And then from there, you know, eating and, and I find that I am more sustained, you know, for a longer period of time. Yeah. I mean, I'm not quite there yet, Patricia. I mean, you're doing a lot better than I am, but you know, yesterday after seeing those 42 patients coming home, completely exhausted. First thing I did was went into the fridge and grabbed some chocolate. And then <laughs> at least now I'm mindful. Now, at least I recognize, oh, I'm stress eating. <laughs> you know? right. So I, as much as I would have normally had, I just had a small piece. And it was the dark chocolate, 85%. So, you know, I'm good. In that sense quite healthy. Yes. Healthy. <laughs> so, you know, at least now I'm more mindful. And I'm going to start incorporating that mindful breathing before food <laughs> as well. Yeah. You know, we talked about how People are looking for quick fixes. It's, just, it's like your uh, instant dopamine shot from that Instagram reel rather than spending four hours, four years on an album or a Dire Straits album, you know, creating beautiful music and, you know, cherishing it for the rest of your life. Is that apart from that, the other thing I find a bit, shall I say, frustrating in this nutrition field is how clients seem to have this tendency of associating with very extreme thought ideologies. You know, mm-hmm. either or you just got to eat meat all day, you know, you got to be a carnivore or you just need to be a, a no oil vegan, which in my book also has certain, you know, downsides, you know, be it yes. 12 or DHA, EPA, omega-3, you know, and other kinds of things which are not quite right with that kind of approach. But how it is that those people seem to have millions of followers, uh, while if we just talk about, say, Professor Walter Willett, who is... Uh, published over 
2,000 papers, the most cited nutrition scientists in the world, and people like you and me who are learning from Harvard. And we, we can give people a much more balanced and I, I would say much more genuine kind of approach on how to conduct themselves. And, and like you said, it's not just about nutrition, it's also about exercise and you know mindfulness and, and stress resilience and sleep. There's not so much appetite for that in right. you know, among people. They just seem to, and perhaps um, since you have a psychology background, uh, Patricia, perhaps you could advise me on how why that's the case. Why, why is it that people seem so attracted towards these extremes, while someone just giving you the common sense kind of scientific approach doesn't seem to garner so much attention? Well, isn't that an interesting thought? I would say that I, I think naturally the, the society that we're in right now, you know, as you talked about earlier, the quick fix, the instant gratification, the dopamine, you know, we want things and we want them quickly. So, you know, looking at, you know, the research and everything that's based with, with what we saw in the Harvard Extension program, you know, I felt like it's a slow and steady, it's a lifestyle. It's the long, it is the marathon. It is, you know, this, these are small lifestyle changes. This is that Dire Straits, amazing song that took four years to make that album. You know, people don't want to wait four years. They want it and they want it now. But I think what's important is, is recognizing wins along the way. And I think that is going to give people the longevity to get people to keep going and not to go to those extremes, but rather really kind of, all right, this is one step forward. This is another step forward. I think people can get that through, you know, just their own journal and reflecting like, wow, this week I had this many vegetables, not looking at what I didn't do, what I subtracted or what have you, but actually what I did do. So looking at like, I incorporated vegetables and every meal, you know, today, like that is a win. So writing that down, that's a little nugget that'll get them to the next day. So I I think you know, we, we, as people have to resist. I mean, of course we all want a quick fix. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? You know, we could go check in and get our, our four year tune up and get a full, you know, get a whole new model and then keep going. I mean, of course we all want that, but like, I think it's just looking at those, those small sustainable steps that we do along the way that keeps people moving the dial forward. And whether that's through coaching or whether that's through self-reflection or whether that's through the buddy system, you know, whatever it might be. So I think that that's such a great question, but I think the answer to that is really, it's difficult to make those, you know, slow changes. I think part of it, Patricia, is that a lot of our clients, they just leap walking into metabolic illness and they don't realize the, the relevance of that. I think it's a lack of education to some extent, to some extent, it's also an over-reliance on, you know, we talked about the pharma lobby and the medical lobby and the and all these other lobbies, these big multi-billionaire kind of corporation lobbies. It's an over-reliance on that as well. You just feel, well, you know, I can have my poor lifestyle and diet and I can gain a whole lot of weight, but it's, it's okay. I've got doctor who so-and-so can prescribe me all these drugs and that'll be fine. And there was this kind of over-optimism, I feel, in that sense as right. well. A lot of my clients, they say, sorry, doctor, I haven't got time for that. And when I, when I hear that, I, I say to them, don't tell me you haven't got time because you do have time. You just haven't prioritized it in your life enough. You know, if you, if you prioritize it, you will make the time. You know, mm-hmm. it's someone saying to me, oh, this sounds a bit crude, but you know, 
a friend of mine may say, oh, you know, uh, you're a Hindu, you should go to the temple, but it's been a few, it's been a year since I went to a temple. Now, if someone said to me, oh, Dr. Rawat, why haven't you been to a temple for the last year? I wouldn't say to them, I haven't got time, but that's, that's, that's a lie. <laughs> you know, I, would, I wouldn't want to. Yeah. I do have the time. In, in my whole priority of things, you know, I believe in all religions, I believe in all faiths, I believe we just need to be good persons, we need to do the right thing, and truly all religions, whether it's Hinduism, Buddhism, or any other religion, they teach the same thing, you know, and as long as we follow those, we help each other out and try to do the right thing. I, I don't believe that, you know, sitting in front of a, going to a temple and folding my hands is doing anything on top of that. So that, that's mm -hmm. my belief process. And so I, my, my response wouldn't be, I haven't got time. My, my response right. would be, that's not my priority yes. right now. You know, yes. I don't want to, you know, I mean, there could be someone else who's a big sinner and doing all kinds of bad things and, and going to the temple every day. <laughs> that, that doesn't make it any better. Right. 100%. Now, I know before, you know, we have to wrap up because I know you've got a busy day ahead. And but I so I don't want I know we're tight on time, but I wanted to dive in on your strengths because you have an amazing package of strengths. And so we use the via strengths character strengths. These are 24 character strengths that, that are who we are to our core. It was developed by Peterson and Seligman. It is completely free to take this um, assessment online and you can find out your ranking of your 24 strengths. So Sapan's top five strengths, number one, if you don't mind me sharing, is perspective. And then number two is honesty. And then number three is kindness. Number four is love of learning. And number five is hope. Wow. I mean, looking at a physician and seeing these strengths, I mean, wouldn't all of us want to see a doctor that had these top five? That's, that's what I have to say. Because number one, perspective, he comes in. You're not just bringing in your perspective of all the medical training. Like we had talked about earlier, you're bringing in your perspective of being a human being and really being able to relate to others. You're bringing your family history into it as well. And so I think that you have a unique perspective in your 25 years of experience and taking in from all of that and all of your medical training. I think that speaks for itself perspective at number one. Thank it's you. also linked to longevity perspective and healthy aging, by the way, <laughs> which is, yes. And then second is honesty. Honesty is not only being honest with one, uh, with others, but then also with oneself. So honesty is number two. And then obviously you can feel the kindness. We just had World Kindness Day just most recently and, and kindness is contagious. And as you've been speaking in just the way that you, your TikTok, you know, I will say that it's very informational. There's a kindness element to it where you really are sharing information. You're taking your knowledge and you're sharing it with others. And I can see that love of learning goes without speaking, be, you know, without saying, because you just were in a course, like you said, with a very diverse group of people from personal trainers to, you know, physicians, to coaches, nutritionist, dietitians, you know, so you, your love of learning is, you can see any doctor probably <laughs> with the amount of education you've had, gotta love it somehow, Right. And then finally, hope and optimism. And you can hear that in your voice and how you're speaking today, that there is that optimism that we can make changes in our 
you know, that your patients just, you know, having that hope for your patients that just making their changes in lifestyle can make longevity and uh, create longevity. So really amazing package of strengths. And thank you for sharing those. Is there anything that you'd like to add to that? Yeah, just on the hope part. I mean, you know, one of the most optimistic and fantastic things I'm feeling right now is just, you know, connecting with you, Patricia, right now. And We've got so many alumni at the on that WhatsApp group at Harvard from different walks of life, different kinds of life experiences, different skills, but we all have a common purpose. We're all trying to help our clients, you know, achieve better things. And, you know, I would never be able to, no matter how much I have the love of learning, I would never be able to, you know, match a professional psychologist for psychological assessments and and um, and advising them, whether it's on mindfulness or, you know, anything. And, We'll have a separate podcast on that one, Patricia, where I will interview you in the, in the yes. near future. But I got to say, I'm so excited that we, I got to connect with you and with so many other people. And hopefully we can do great things together and we can get uh, people motivated in different ways, whether it's exercise or, or psycho- psychotherapy or, or nutrition, and, and get them you know, motivated to make those changes they need to make to you know, be their own doctor, to... to yeah. um, fix their, their own health issues themselves from, from the root itself. Yes, that's wonderful. Quick question for you. If you had one action item for the, all the listeners that are out there right now, you know, what would that action item be? Like, you know, one thing that you think stands out? Yeah, so I think awareness. Awareness. You know, if someone's told you that you've got fatty liver, for example, and your doctor said to you, oh, don't worry about it. Uh, 60% of the population has got fatty liver, no big deal. Don't take it like that. Understand, like we discussed about, you know, driving your cars like driving the Titanic, that, that iceberg's waiting for you 20 years down the line. You know, if you're 30 right now and it's gonna, you've, got, you've already got insulin resistance and it's going to take 10 years to get diabetic, it's going to take 10 more years to have that heart attack. Remember, 50% of people who have a heart attack die on the spot. You know, all the people you hear about who had the stent put in and they, they survived and they had a good outcome. Well, those are the people who survived. You didn't hear about the ones who didn't survive. And don't play a lottery with your life on what's going to happen 20 years down the line. You know, you've got a 50% head or tail chance you could not make it to see your grandchildren. So don't do that. You have to steer your ship early enough when you yes. get those first warning signs. And unfortunately, our environment you know, our supermarkets are packed full of ultra-processed foods. You know, we're working long hours to make money. You know, we have we have ads where we need to buy handbags and we need to buy new cars and we need to buy everything. We need to make the money. So we need to work longer hours. We don't get enough sleep. We don't get time to go to the gym. The whole process is kind of bent against you. You know, it's all, it's all working against you to make those mm-hmm. choices. But remember, you know, there could be that iceberg 20 years down the line you got to start moving your ship now. You got to, if there's one thing I would like my clients to understand, it is that don't take it lightly. Make sure you start making those efforts, whether it is improving your nutrition, exercising more, improving your weight, you know, improving sleep, um, you know, listening to people like you or people like me, make those changes now. Don't wait till it's too late. Got it. That's great advice. Great advice. So looking at those early, getting your blood work done, looking at those early, you know, signs, and knowing that we do have control of it. And we've seen the science that making these small, even small changes can make a big difference. So well, well said. Thank you so much. 
question for you. You know, what is the best way for our audience to get a hold of you? I have um, set up a website which is under construction. I will provide the link to you, Patricia. It's called mm-hmm. weightlossgroupcoaching.com. I'm hoping in the next month or so to get it up and running. And that'll be a place where clients will be able to interact with me one-on-one in a group Zoom setting. And this will be open to people from across the world. Um, I will be doing my one-hour sessions at 12-hour different time zones. So I'm planning to do that 8.30 in the morning Eastern time and also 8.30 at night Eastern time. So people from various parts of the world can find a suitable time to to log in. But it'll give people access to -to one-to-one dialogue with me. Plus, it'll also help people just form a community and be able to learn from each other's experiences as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. All of this, guys, will be in the show notes. Last question of the day. 80s trends. Is there one 80s trend that stands out in your mind? Just one. With bell-bottom trousers? (laughs) Very nice. So we're looking at like the the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s kind of vibe. Very nice. Very nice. Well, that's so great. Well, I can't, I am so grateful to have had you here today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Patricia. And I look forward to interviewing you as well. Yes, Uh, me too. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening. We want to hear from you. First of all, Tell us how these totally rad stories have inspired you. If you have a story with an 80s song inspiration, we want to hear it. You think this podcast is like totally tubular? Well, we would love your review. Stay connected with us on Podopolo and download the app today. Visit me at www.patriciafreiberg.com. Thank you, and we look forward to a double boost of inspiration next Motivational Music Monday.